you'll open our eyes and apply your truth to our hearts. In your name, amen. Well, there was a guy, well, my thought about Lot is his love and materialistic attitude. So my joke has related to that. So the guy is driving down the road in his new Lamborghini, and he stops at a light right next to a man on a moped, an older man. The older man looks over and says, wow, that's a pretty spiffy-looking car there, son. It must be really fast. The guy said, it sure is. The old man looks in the interior and says, luxurious, too. And he leans back. Just then, the light changes, and the guy says, later, old-timer, decides to show him how fast this car really can go. He floors it and starts going 110 down the highway, leaving the city or the town. He notices a dot in his rearview mirror, and it's getting closer. What could be faster than his Lamborghini? Whoosh, something flies passing by him, and it was so blurred he hardly could make it out, but it looked like the guy on the moped. Whoosh, something flies past him again, and it was a blur, and it's coming right at him this time, and it goes right past him, and he goes, it is the old man on the moped. Soon he sees in his mirror, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> um, he sees the dot getting closer, and whoosh, um, okay, it, it is getting closer and closer in his rear view mirror, and here comes, it is the old man from behind, he's gaining, he's gaining, he's gaining, and bam, he hits the back of the Lamborghini. The guy breaks to, uh, and run, jumps out of the car, and he sees the old man and the moped on the ground, showing the effects of the crash, and the guy says, old man, I don't know how you did it, but that moped is fastest thing I've ever seen, but you're in bad shape, do you want me to call an ambulance, is there anything I can do for you? And the old man whispers, yeah, unhook my suspenders from your side mirror. <laughs> I tell you, I laughed so hard. I was trying to tell this to my husband the other day, and I'm just laughing. And then last night at the Wednesday night, I couldn't get through it. It just, just struck me so funny, but I was able to tell the whole one this time. Anyway, okay, it's good to laugh. Well, we come to a very difficult portion of scripture in our study today when we are faced with the depraved sins of people uh, presented to us in scriptures and we have to remember that God has chosen to include this passage in his inspired word all scripture is God breathed all scripture is profitable we know we are told that whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction and so as students of scripture we always have to go back to the basics of who wrote this and why Remember, this is Moses writing this account so that Israel as a nation would learn important lessons. What the people of Israel needed to understand, and we by way of application, is that God judges people severely because of wickedness. This was to be a warning then to the nation of Israel that they should never embrace the wicked lifestyle of the peoples around them as they went into the promised land. God will bring harsh judgment. He judges sin. And thinking through how this applies to us as well, we're reminded that we are not to love this world and the things of this world, and that's exactly what Lot was like. We're not to behave like those around us or be influenced by sins that are so readily accepted in our society. We are to remember Lot's wife, Jesus commanded us, who loved her possessions so much that she couldn't bear to part with it all. I think a choice spokesman for the topic of homosexual sin in our day is Rosaria Butterfield. 
you can listen to her on YouTube. You can buy her books. She has written so many helpful books as she honestly shares her testimony of a once very active lesbian college professor who pushed her cause and her identity on her students and then was transformed to a believer in Jesus who now serves the Lord alongside of her husband who is a pastor. She has several books out that are very helpful. And her book, Openness Unhindered, she shares her testimony. And she also gives a great deal of insight and help and understanding regarding the sin and the lies about it and our culture's perspective and acceptance of it. But here we are. We are going to learn what does God have to say. Our chapter for today makes it very clear what God has to say about sin, and particularly this sin. And as you recall from last week, two angels had left Abraham and headed down to Sodom while the pre-incarnate Christ was having a talk with Abraham. So we pick up the story in chapter 19 as these two angels who appear as regular men uh, have now arrived in Sodom and have entered the town square. I've been helped in my preparation by uh, notes and books and outlines from my husband, so I'm passing that on. So the reason for destruction is seen in the first few verses. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. And then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, no, but we'll spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So now it's evening, probably 4.35-ish, and the two men arrive, and it's Lot who's the first to greet them. That's because he's actually sitting in the gate of Sodom. It's important that we realize that this tells us that Lot had a prominent role in the city of Sodom. A person at the city gate served often as a judge or was considered at least a prominent member of that city who gave their input. We don't know exactly his position, but he clearly had some position as a citizen of this city. And we saw in the uh, weeks past in our studies that he began by making a totally self-serving decision when his uncle Abraham said, where do you want to go? We have to depart from each other. And he looked and saw cha-ching, cha-ching, looking toward the lush valleys and all the wealth that that would possibly bring to him as his cattle and all of his things could be fed well. And so he chooses to go to Sodom. Um, then we saw at chapter 13, he pitched his tent near Sodom. So he's getting a little closer and closer to the city. He was still on the outside, though, at this point looking in. He was still an outsider. But then he makes a move in chapter 14 where we see he's actually living in Sodom. He had crossed the line, and here we are in chapter 19. He's a prominent city, a prominent a citizen of, of this wicked city. So Lot is not living here as a bright light missionary shining forth the truth of the one creator God that Uncle Abraham made clear to him. Rather, he is a compromising believer who loves the world and all the comforts and pleasures it has to offer. He had even given his two daughters' hands in marriage to two pagan men from this city. And we're going to see more of his character as we see he offers his daughters to men to be raped. Then he tries to convince his sons-in-laws to be to run with him, but they think he's a joke. So he will have to be physically pulled out of the city by the two angels. Sadly, though, there are many believers just like Lot living their lives in a godless society 
swept away by love for things and pleasure and comfort and ease. One can't tell them apart from the unsaved world. And honestly, what we would never know Lot was a believer unless Second Peter 2.8 tells us that he was. Certainly as believers, we are to be living in this world as a witness for the Lord. We're not to be of the world and its values and its system. So in verses 2 and 3, Lot greeted these two visitors and invited them to his home for the night. Lot knows exactly the type of men in his town. He knows exactly what would happen to two men that think they're going to lay out on a sleeping bag and spend the night in the town square, left unprotected. So at first they declined his invitation. I suspect that was kind of cultural, like, oh, we don't want to impose. Oh, no, impose. It's okay. So, okay. And I thought about that, too. It's interesting when the Lord sends angels to do the things he has them to do. They fit in. They look like they know the culture. You know, they're just his servants, and they're well aware of what's going on. Well, notice it is Lot preparing the bread for the guests. For whatever reason, Mrs. Lot, she's not being very helpful or welcoming them or even being preparing the meal. It's he makes the bread. When it's time for bed, we see it's in verses 4 and 5 that the men of the city of Sodom surround the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter, and they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. So in the later part of the evening, all the men of the city uh, young and old surround Lot's house and demand that he give them his guests for the purpose of homosexual rape. The lustful perversion of these men caused them to desire to each have their turn of such abuse that would have ended in their deaths. So this is why the Lord made it so clear to Abraham that the outcry of their sin was great and exceedingly grave. Though Lot had been a poor example of a believer, he had his limits of what he could endure. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with a man. Please let me bring them out to you and do them to them whatever you like. Only do not nothing to these men, and as much as come under my shelter of my roof. Well, on a plus side, at least Lot uh, called the behavior of these men wicked. In our world, to ever identify this sexual sin as wicked would be politically and socially incorrect. The truth is that anyone familiar with the Bible knows the fact that God's word has always condemned homosexuality as sin. It's outside of the blueprint of God's design. In our time, we we now have supposed theologians who say that one has to interpret the Bible differently on this subject. They say Lot had made the men of his city angry by taking in these strangers who were possible spies And so they were rude and not hospitable. And then they use Ezekiel 16, which you had in your lesson today, and try to talk about the other sins of Sodom that they were guilty of. They were prosperous and proud and unjust and too comfortable with their wealth. Ezekiel doesn't mention the sexual sin because that was only a part of their rebellion and their corruption before the Lord. As one Bible teacher explains, Sodom was not destroyed because it specialized in homosexuality, but because it was a plague center of every kind of depravity, including pride, sensuality, and injustice. This is the same picture presented to us in Romans chapter 1 of a world and a culture and a society that rejects God as creator. In rebelling against him, having any authority over their lives, they demonstrate the same exact depravity as Sodom. 
their homosexuality was only a symptom of a much deeper heart issue of total defiant rebellion towards God. The sin of Sodom had nothing to do with the failure of being hospitable. It's not even logical that Lot offered his two daughters to these men in response because they weren't hospitable. Well, at any rate, how could Lot have offered his daughters to these vile men in the first place? That's a little mind-bending. Did he secretly think that they wouldn't want them because they were women? But regardless, how could a father do such a thing? I read that it's likely that Lot felt he had a moral obligation to protect his guests in the name of hospitality because the moral code in the ancient world demanded you protect a guest in your home even if it meant your very life. How could Lot not have the same moral code when it came to protecting his own daughters as well? Apparently, Lot believed offering the daughters was the lesser evil than offering his guests. There's really nothing in Lot's life to be admired. In verse 9, we see that the men of Sodom had no interest in his daughters. They only wanted the men. They had such a burning, perverted lust that could only be satisfied by being with a man, and so now they threatened to deal with Lot much worse than with his guests. This one came in as an alien, and already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door, but the men reached out their hands, brought Lot into the house, and shut the door. Just like in our culture, people have no tolerance from anyone being a moral judge over sexual preferences and sexual desires. When you believe, or rather, when you believe the thinking that rationalizes all should be free to do whatever they want, express their sexual preferences however they want, to whomever they want, I can only say that it has to lead one day in the future to those who abuse little children. After all, this is how they are wired. Why should we judge them for something they're born inclined to do? How could that be wrong for them? And what about multiple marriage partners? If that's one's preference, they like three husbands, they like four wives, who are you to judge? Just as Romans says, professing to be wise, they became fools and their foolish hearts were darkened, and as God gives them over to do all the evil that is even unimaginable, that's in their heart. The angels now have to protect Lot from the very men he was trying to protect the angels from. And they pull Lot inside the house and shut the door, and they, the men that were outside the door, the angels struck with blindness. And I've always been so amazed that these men didn't freak out that they're blind. I mean, you'd think you'd go... Can you see? I can't see. Uh, but that was not even a slowdown diversion. They have one focus, and that focus is this burning, lustful passion for sexual pleasure to be met by two strange men. So they just keep trying to get to the door. Clearly, Lot now recognizes these are not any ordinary visitors who are in his home. And so the angels reveal their identity and tell Lot the reason that they have come to Sodom. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here, a son-in-law and, and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we're about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Now Lot is told to go get your family, anybody and everybody, because we're leaving and because a judgment is imminent. There are various thoughts as to how many family members Lot actually had to warn. I know you had this as a question. If he had sons, he didn't, it's not recorded that he went to sons, 
maybe he didn't think there was any point to go to sons if he had them. Maybe they were part of the crowd. Um, at any rate, were there other daughters and sons-in-laws, or were the two daughters in his home engaged to be married to the two men in the town, which, as you know, in that day, if you were engaged to be married, that was the same as actually being married, even though the wedding day had not come. Whatever the case, the sad truth is, no family out of his home took any warning seriously. Because this is what happens when you live such a compromising life and love the world. It leaves you with no credibility, especially with your children. Lot's family saw his warning as just a joke. God brought condemnation and destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. Homosexuality was the major part that was born out of rebellious and defiant hearts of sin. No matter how tolerant and embracing our culture is of this sin, the Bible condemns sexu uh, homosexuality as sin. It is not a genetic defect. Let's face it. We all have a defect, and it is our sin nature. And however that's going to choose to act out, it is our defect, the way we are born with a sinful, rebellious, defiant heart towards God. God would condemn this sin in the Mosaic Law uh, with the death penalty. Paul condemned it in Romans 1. Peter and Jude both condemned this sin as well. In the last years, this sin has not only been accepted as the norm and celebrated for a month out of every year, as something wonderful and good and beautiful. Now it is being forced into the innocent minds of children in early, early elementary grades so that I'm aware of a little child sending a naked picture of themselves to a same-sex friend in the school. And you know there's no way kids are coming up with that, doing that on their own. This is the influence of their parents and what they're watching and exposing them to, to be, embrace this kind of behavior, it really is stunning. And you know what? If you don't think you're a boy, you can be a girl and vice versa. Insanity is what rules our day. Common sense is gone. This is rebellion to God on steroids. God, you made me a man. I'll show you. I'm going to have breasts and I'm going to be a woman. This is exactly what Romans 1 warns us of. People reject the creator even though all around is evidence of his power and his attributes, then they reject that internal witness, that conscience, they suppress, 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 and ignore it altogether. And God gives them over to the lusts of their impure hearts as they dishonor their bodies. It is God who gives them over to degrading passions, so they exchange the natural function as God designed as that man, uh, instead of man with a woman, it's men burning with passion for men and women burning in passion for women. They refuse to acknowledge God, and God's judgment is giving them over to do the things they want to do in their depraved mind. So this is why our culture is insane, and the world we're living in is out of its mind. It is a world that needs the gospel, though, and we are the ones with the truth to set people free. Oh, how people have been so deceived by the lies. And you think now, the lies they're being exposed to from little, little children, how ingrained it's going to be. This is why we must reject the sin, but love the sinner committing the sin. We're the only ones with the truth to set them free. These people, and I have relatives, are anything but gay. They took that word, which meant happy and joyful, and coined it to be... Uh, their identity, but it is a false identity. And I love the testimony of Rosaria, Rosaria Butterfield because her neighbor was a pastor 
who invited her into his home and shared meals with her and loved her to Jesus over a two-year period. I mean, we're disgusted by the sin, but we have to love the sinner. So we're the only people who can give them the truth to set them free from the bondage. Well, when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, and, or you'll be swept away in the punishment with them. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hand of his two daughters, and for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. He didn't even know it. And they brought him out and put him outside of the city. So it's dawn of the next day, and the angels pressed Lot to leave quickly with his family. Get out now so you're not swept away. Why would Job, Job, why would Lot hesitate? Because he didn't want to lose all the comforts of his home. His heart was in Sodom. He just, that was just really a struggle for him to just leave it all. Leaving it all behind, it was too important to him. While he lingers and is hesitant to leave, the angel just, they have to finally grab the whole family and drag him out. This is quite a scene to imagine. One Bible teacher put it this way. We can picture the scene, Lot being dragged out of Sodom, the whole family dilly-dallying on the way. The wife wanted to sort out her jewelry first, the daughters wanting to get suitably dressed, Lot wanting to find his bank book and list of accounts receivable. It's incredible how dull a backslidden person becomes to spiritual truth. What a chilling reminder to all of us that it is easy to become so attached to the things that we have and the comforts and the lifestyle that we're used to. The love of money or the things that money can buy can become obviously one of the biggest idols that we struggle with. And in loving those things, it dulls our senses of what really matters and what's really important. Lot isn't sure he can live without the wealth of this city. Was his money more important to him than his very life or the life of his wife and girls? And that's why the angels have to grab him and drag him outside. This was all done because of the compassion of the Lord. Lot is such a pitiful believer, and yet God spared his life because God is merciful, not because Lot deserved it. And how often are we just like Lot? We've made foolish decisions, sinful decisions, and God in his mercy has rescued us. The moment we trust him for salvation, salvation he rescues us eternally from being in hell. But there are many times he rescues us from our own stupidity and foolish decisions that we've made in our lives. At this point, you may think that the fear of judgment would finally have gripped Lot and his family, but obviously not the case. So now the angels give their specific directions. Flee, don't look back, don't stop in the valley, escape to the mountains as a place of refuge. Got it? Not too hard. But when Lot heard this, he actually protests. No, I don't want to go to the mountains. Disaster will overtake me and I will die. I mean, think about that reasoning. You're being taken out so you don't die. Go where I'm telling you, but, but I could die. Did he think he wasn't in good enough shape to go up the mountains? Did he think his plan B was just a whole lot better? He didn't want to be a mountain man anyway. Well, he goes to, it says I want to go to the little city of uh, town of Zor. Amazingly, his request is granted. I can't help but to think the angels looked at each other. Are you believing this? I mean, what kind of, hu these humans, they're pathetic. Say, okay, go to Zor. Um, perhaps Lot thinks at least to have some of his creature comforts in this little town rather than having to rough it in the mountains. Well, we learned something very important here. 
If God is kind enough to rescue you out of a messy situation that you brought about, uh, then don't try to argue with him when he brings the way of escape. Obey what he wants you to do. We are never to presume upon the grace of God. In verses 23 through 5, we read that Lot, the Lord then rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of all those cities. So it wasn't just the two cities that we're familiar with, Sodom and Gomorrah, that were destroyed. There were other cities, but they are all just like Sodom. All people, all vegetation, everything destroyed. God supernaturally brought this down from heaven. The result was absolute, total destruction. It's hard to imagine this area was a lush, fertile valley. If you go to Israel and you go down to this area near the Dead Sea, this is where the archaeologists believe these cities were, some under the sea. It is nothing but barren, rocky, arid, dry, nothing. It's nothing. There's only good mud by the sea. But other than that, there's nothing. Meanwhile, uh, while God is bringing about this destruction, Lot and his family are running for their lives, looking ahead as the angel instructed. That is everybody except Lot's wife. In total disobedience to the angel's instruction, she looked back to the city of Sodom. And it wasn't, according to the Hebrew word, it wasn't just a quick glance. No, she looked intently, longingly back there. That's because that's where her heart was. Jesus told us to remember Lot's wife. She is an example of a person who couldn't stand to part with her old way of life. She reminds us that once we as believers start following Jesus, we are not to look back. We are not to long for the old life that we are to leave behind. She is a warning to all of the consequences of becoming attached to material comforts and possessions. She lost her very life as she was caught up in the eruption of molten sulfurous and salt-like materials that just came down and encased her body. What a contrast to Moses, who left the riches of Egypt and the power he could have had and chose instead to endure ill treatment rather than the passing pleasures of sin. So Lot and his daughters arrived safely at Zor. And the, reason, uh, the real reason for that he was safe is, you know why? Because Abraham intervened for him. And God saved all that he could. How critical it is that we intervene on behalf of others in prayer. Our prayers that intervene for the lost is what God chooses to use to rescue sinners in need of salvation. So sin brought about this destruction, but Lot was rescued because of the mercy of God. Well, we're not going to read the rest of the verses. You know the story. Lot and his daughters <clears throat> leave Zor, and they end up finding shelter in the mountains in a cave. And we find our business, a wealthy businessman now with nothing, except these two young ladies who are fearful. They think we're ever, forever going to be uh, never married, no children. And so they devise a wicked plan. All I can say is clearly these girls grew up in Sodom, where wickedness and perversion was the norm. So this thought came to their mind. That probably just fit right in with their culture. The oldest daughter gets her father drunk first. Where, I wonder, where did they get all this wine? Maybe that's what Zor was noted for. <laughs> that's why he wanted to go there. I don't know. Anyways, the two daughters have relations. The oldest gets pregnant first, and the second gets pregnant. They bear the sons Moab, which means son of his and her father. That's disgusting. And Ben-Ami, son of my kinsmen. And from these two boys came two of Israel's greatest enemies, the Moabites and the Ammonites. Honestly, 
It seems it would have been easier if they had just all died. But sinful choices and behavior beget more and more and more sin. And the impact spreads like a skipping stone on the water has ripples going on, 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 on. It's a sobering truth to realize, ladies, that your sins and my sins affect people around us. Lot lived in such a wicked place, and the immorality that happened in the cave with the daughters was really the long-term ripple effect of all the poor choices and the influence of him even as a dad. When we sin against our children or against our spouses or our parents or friends, never think that your behavior is just in a vacuum. We lead by example, and that example is either by godliness or sinfulness. How often have children used the sinful behavior of their parents as their excuse to live totally away from the gospel truth they grew up with? Children that refuse to honor their aging parents, are they so foolish and stupid as to not realize that the example they set will come back to bite them when they are old? Spouses who are unloved or treated poorly by their spouse, especially a wife to a husband, Proverbs tells us a woman, a wise woman builds up her home, the foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Scripture makes it clear, be sure your sin will find you out. And Lot can attest to that fact. He ended up with no wife, no money, isolated and seduced by his daughters. As I said, a parent cannot expose their own family to such worldly attitudes and sin and expect them to not be influenced by it. So this story in scripture warns us to not be like Lot. We're also warned to not be like Lot's wife. They both loved, they loved their life. They loved the things, they loved their home. They loved their hobbies, they loved their food, their comforts, but it completely ruined them and their children. We never read anything more about Lot in the rest of the Bible except for his descendants. We only know that he was a believer because the New Testament tells us so. He left no mark for good whatsoever in this world. He reminds us that there is, as that saying, there's only one life and will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We've also seen from our study that God has a limit with what he will allow with sin. As it grows and grows and blooms and blooms, he will judge sin with his holy wrath. Don't ever let our culture dull your senses as to what's right and wrong. Sexual sin, whether it's homosexual sin, adultery, fornication, disobedience to parents, drunkenness, covetousness, jealousy, and on and on goes the list. Our sins condemned in scripture and will be judged. The only hope we have is the mercy of God, that he sent his son, Jesus, to take the punishment for all this muck and sin in the lives of all who come to him. And we know Paul said, when he's talking about homosexuals and other covetous swindlers will not enter the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. So all can be forgiven when we turn from our sins and repent and trust him alone to be made right with God. Let's pray. Lord, you included this passage, which isn't pleasant in your word, but let's face it, cultures, people are not pleasant. They're defiant, rebellious, and they act out their sinful hearts, Lord. And I pray that we would learn from Lot and his wife that we would not be like them, that we would not love our homes, our possessions, our cars, our, our food, our hobbies, that those things would not become even our own family members, the idols of our lives. I pray we would love you first and honor you. 
And I thank you for the truths we've heard today. I pray that you'll impact us with it in your name. Amen. Thank you, ladies.